So this morning's reading is uh, Ezra chapter 3. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation, and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred feasts of the Lord, as well as those who brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Then they gave money to the mansion, masons and carpenters, and gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa, as authorised by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year, after the arrival at the house of God of Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, son of Josadak, and the rest of their brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who returned from captivity to Jerusalem, began the work, appointing Levites 20 years of age and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Jeshua and his sons and brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Henadad, and the sons of brothers and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments, and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Praise the Lord, as prescribed by King David, King of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Logan. Morning, everyone. My name's Joel. For those who I uh, haven't met before, and I'd, I'd love the chance to, to get to meet you uh, after the service if I haven't, uh, we're continuing in Ezra, as, as Jeff mentioned. Uh, so why don't we pray, and then we'll take a closer look at uh, this chapter. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words, and we pray that you would help us now as we reflect on them. 
Father, as Jeff said earlier in the service, we, we come here uh, having experienced different things through the week. Uh, and we pray that as we look at your word in, in detail now, that you would help us to, uh, to focus, help us to uh, turn our hearts to you. Uh, and we do pray that you would speak to us uh, according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What does a life worshipping God look like? Not just uh, here on a Sunday, but every day of the week. That's one of the the great uh, challenges of the Christian faith, to worship God with all our lives and all our interactions, our conversations and our thoughts. In all the the places we go, what does a life worshipping God look like? The passage this morning shows us Israel at one of their better moments. The, the whole chapter shows us this faithful worship of God. And as we look at it, we see two things that help us as we consider what a life worshipping God looks like for us. Uh, I'll come to those two things in a moment, but first, just a very quick recap. Last week, we began this series in Ezra, and we heard how Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had come to Judah, the home of God's people, and they had taken it by force. They, they burned parts of Jerusalem to the ground, destroying the temple of God in the process. And you re, you'll remember that the temple was a place where God dwelt among his people in a, in a special way. It was the central place for their worship. And the people of Judah were carried off into exile. Thousands and thousands of them were, were carried away uh, around the year 587 BC. But time passed and... The Babylonian Empire crumbled uh, and it was swallowed up by this new empire, the, the Persian Empire. Cyrus was the king of Persia and last week uh, we saw his heart was moved by God, as Jeff reminded us earlier. He issued a decree and he said to the exiles, you can go home, all these years after they were captured. More than that, he said, go and rebuild your temple. We'll help with the costs. And so a number of the people in exile, in what was Babylon, head back to Judah. And this morning we're picking up in chapter 3, and we see two main things in the passage that help us work out what it looks like to live a life worshipping God. We see obedience is the right response to fear, and we see praise is the right response to restoration. So firstly... Obedience is the right response to fear in verses 1 to 6. The Israelites have had some time to settle back into their towns and on the first day of the seventh month they gather together as one man. There is unity among the people. When you've been scattered for a long time there's something special about being back together. Uh, I know a number, of, a number of us felt that as a church when we moved back to one service after the, the restrictions just prior to Easter. Not everyone has been able to return, but there was a sense of, of oneness as we met and as we've continued to meet since then. Now, for the Israelites, it's been decades since they were last together in Jerusalem. And you can imagine how exciting a time it must have been as they saw more of God's people gathering around them. And we learn in verse 3 that God's people are afraid of those around them. There's a fear. It's the original version of, of neighbours at war. Uh, some of your Bibles will say they, they build the altar and offer sacrifices because of 
their fear of the peoples around them. Because of their fear. And I think that gets to the heart of this first section of the passage. Since they've been in exile, other people have been occupying the land of Judah and and the surrounding regions, and their arrival back home hasn't excited everyone. And and that word fear is used. But possibly a a better word is terrified. It's It's a very strong emotion that God's people feel as a result of the people in the land around them. Imagine living somewhere, but having that constant feeling that the, that the people around you don't actually want you there. Fear almost doesn't do it justice. Now, I hope you've never had neighbours like this. So, so their return isn't as straightforward as it might have been. What is heartening in this passage is what the people of God do in, in the face of this fear. They draw near to God and they obey his word to them. Unlike those who have gone before them, those who in the past turned to Assyria for protection or or to Egypt for help, who asked for a king to guide them, or who looked to idols for comfort instead of looking to God. They feel fear and in response they obey God. Uh, Chapter 3 seems to show that that after decades in exile, Israel is finally responding rightly to their fear of man by obeying the law which they were given through Moses. The altar is built, they they offer sacrifices on it, and and look at verses 2 to 6. It's sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Now to us, the amount of sacrifices that they make is, it seems insane, but they are committed to following exactly what God has told them to do. Their sin separated them from God, but the sacrifices are, are preparing them so that they can be in the presence of a holy God. Morning and evening, day after day, uh, like, like showering, making themselves clean. It's the same kind of repetition. Uh, they also celebrate this feast of tabernacles. Uh, they basically go camping for, for seven days. And some people will like this, love the sound of that. Uh, they've, they've lived in tents to remind themselves of how God had protected their ancestors before them as they journeyed through the wilderness. So they they worship God by following his instructions. And reading all of this, isn't it it great to know that Jesus offered himself as the perfect one-time sacrifice so that we could be acceptable in the sight of a holy God? By Jesus' blood, we are clean. So so fear fear is what leads God's people to obedience through sacrifices. A fear of man is something that most of us struggle with. If you don't, then, then let me know the secret. How often do we see the people of God in the Bible seriously considering whether to listen to God or to listen to the voices of those who they are afraid of? For the Israelites, I think it was a fear of the harm that could come their way, uh, perhaps the fear of being taken into exile once again. Now for us, a fear of man can look very different. Uh, John Bunyan has written a book, Fear of God, uh, which you can buy on Kindle for $1.80, which is a bargain. And uh, in it, he says, our fear of man is often a fear of losing favor, losing the love of others, their approval, their kindness, their help. And when we desire these things, we often compromise our relationship with God to get them. 
we stop obeying him. We don't want to be treated differently, so we ignore God. Uh, I've, I've seen it many times in my life, and, and maybe it's something you see in yours. Don't ignore God when you feel fear. Israel learned the hard way what giving in to a fear of man would mean. I wonder if you're being driven by God's voice or by a fear of man. Whose words will control your life? Is it the words of your God or the words and opinions of others? Words that can have a powerful impact over us, uh, words of the, the people who we look up to, words of those who have authority over us, our, our bosses, our teachers, words of the people whom we trust. They turn to the words of God through the law of Moses. Uh, how will you respond to your fear of man? The second way we see what a life worshipping God looks like is in, in the second part of the passage, uh, verses 7 to 13. We see praise in response to restoration. Praise in response to restoration. Uh, now, the, the foundation of the Lord's temple hadn't been laid, so they, they begin the rest, this, this restoration of it. Uh, in verse 7, you see their approach. They pay the masons and carpenters, they, they feed the people of Tyre and Sidon and give them oil. And they get the cedar logs they needed shipped in. And it seems like no expense is being spared and, and everything is done as well as can be. And if we look back, we, we see the materials that they get for the temple are very similar to the, the materials that Solomon got for the original temple. If you read uh, the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 2, you'll see some similarities in the materials and the places where they were sourced from. And what it seems to show is that God's people had set the highest of standards for the rebuild of the temple. They wanted it to be as good as the first one. And they can go and get all. Uh, they can go to all these great le great lengths to do it because it was all authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. It's pretty good to have the person in power in your corner. Uh, I'm still waiting for Jacinda to call me to let me know that she's going to cover the costs for us to build a new church. Uh, she's obviously she's obviously misplaced my number. But God's work in in Cyrus's heart in chapter one continues to pay dividends for, the, for, for God's people. So in the second year, all the supplies have, have finally arrived and they begin building the foundation of the temple. The men from the tribe of Levi, uh, Levi are given the task of supervising all the work and the Levites are mentioned because they had this special role in the temple. Some of them offered sacrifices, some were musicians, some were gatekeepers and, and some were priests. They had the, the best knowledge of it, so they're the ones who are in charge. And once the foundation is laid, the, the priests kick into gear. They get their fancy clothes on, they grab the trumpets, and these guys who are the sons of Asaph, they, they grab the cymbals. Now, if you look back at chapter 2, verse 41, you'll see the sons of Asaph were the singers. They, they lead the people in singing praise to God. Now we saw the people worship God through sacrifices in the first part of the passage. This time they worship through music and song. It's a time marked by praise and thanksgiving to God. He's restored them to the land and now he's helping them to restore the temple. All the people give a, a great shout and notice the words that were sung. Verse 11, he is good. His love to Israel endures forever. 
their song is a testimony. It's, it's quite something when you hear people who have been through uh, a rough spell in life and, and they slowly emerge out the other side and they attest to God's goodness. Uh, you can see it's genuine and you'll know people uh, who have similar testimonies about God's goodness. Uh, perhaps you, you, you yourself have a similar testimony. But it's not just God's goodness that they sing about. They also sing about his love. That word for love can mean a number of things. His faithfulness, his loyalty, his commitment, his kindness. Take your pick. His love for Israel endures forever. And he's endured a lot. That is God. There have been some some pretty low points in Israel's history. Repeated unfaithfulness. Uh, when we when they love uh, when we love others, we often have our limits, even with those who are closest to us. But look at the enduring love of God for His people. He's restored them uh, to their home in Jerusalem, and He's helping them restore this temple. And as they look back, and as they think of their current circumstances, they realise they have a reason to praise Him and thank Him, and so they do. Praise is the right response to restoration. But the passage finishes with this odd description in the the last two verses. I'm sure you noticed it when Logan read it. Let me read it. But many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise. This is the first time in the passage where the people don't seem to be on the same page. Why are these older people weeping? Are they tears of joy? Well, I think one reason could be because as they look at the foundation of the new temple, they feel sad uh, because they're the reason that a new temple was, was needed in the first place. The older people are the ones who were alive when Babylon came, when the temple was destroyed, and when they were carried off into exile. And perhaps their sadness is a result of their failure to follow God. But I think there's there's a more obvious reason, uh, and that is, as they look at the foundation of the new temple, they realize it isn't going to be nearly as good as the original temple. Even though they've tried to build the new foundation, following everything that that Solomon did, there seems to be something underwhelming about it so far. I mentioned last week that the book of Ezra Ezra is uh, very closely related to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, And and Jeff mentioned it's it's closely related to Isaiah. Another book which which it is uh, closely related to is Haggai. Haggai was a a prophet and his prophecy is very short. It's, It's just two chapters. But in it, he mentions that this temple which is being built, it won't meet expectations. Now, let me read Haggai chapter 2, verse 3 for you. Speaking about the temple, it says, Who of you is left? Who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? See, when they look at the temple foundation, they already realize it's not what it once was. Remember, only 50,000 people have returned to Jerusalem so far. 
which is absolutely nothing compared to the, the hundreds of thousands who came out of Egypt. Their numbers have, have taken a massive hit. And maybe that's why they've got Levites as young as 20 supervising the rebuild. At other times in the Bible, the Levites had to be 30 years old to serve. But perhaps the lack of people has meant they've had to do with what they've got. They've had to make do with what they've got. It's difficult to rejoice with the younger generation because they still remember the glory of the former temple. They will remember what the prophets predicted about the future. But a lot of it hasn't come to pass yet. This is a time of restoration, but there is much more restoring for God to do. And the older generation weep when they see this firsthand. I think a number of Christians today can probably relate to what we see in these final two verses. We know that for us, God's kingdom doesn't center on a building, but on a person, the Lord Jesus, the one who is the perfect foundation of our faith. We know that Christ has won the victory over sin and death, and we want to feel joy, and at times we do. But the effects of both sin and death are with us in this life. Some of us know those effects all too well. The pain and suffering that it can bring. The frustration. Uh, at times it can cause us to weep, can't it? Some of the sadness the elders face here it seems to be because they haven't been fully restored by God. There is, there is still more to come. And this morning we're, we're going to be spending some time looking back as we share the Lord's Supper together. We look back in a different way. We look back knowing and experiencing more of God's restoration. Through the blood of Christ, he's restored us to himself. And as we share in the bread and wine, we're reminding ourselves of, of God's past faithfulness and goodness. But we also know there's more to come. We're reminded of the forgiveness that is now ours. Our sin and shame and, and guilt has been paid for by Jesus. We, we can praise God because the cross shows us that he is good and that his love for Israel now extends to us as well. But we also long for the day when we'll no longer feel the effects of sin and death. When we'll see loved ones again. But perhaps the weeping at the end is also because of the uncertainty of how God would bring a more complete restoration. Uh, praise God that he doesn't leave us with any kind of uncertainty around the future. We look forward to the, the day when we'll be gathered in heaven with all of God's people. Uh, let me read from Revelation 21 as I close. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true.
that's what we also look forward to. And because we know that there is a future restoration, it gives us hope now. Weeping will one day turn to praise. Praise the one who will restore us fully. Two ways we can live our lives worshipping God. Obey him in the face of your fear. Praise him uh, for the restoration that he brings. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts as we work out what it looks like for us to live obediently in the, in the face of fear. As we wait for a fuller restoration that you have promised. Please help us now as we, uh, as, as we do wait. Give us, give us patience. Father, help us as we uh, struggle with the effects of, of sin and death in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Help us to keep looking to Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.